Welcome to the Global Band Room, a podcast about bands and musicians across the world. My name is Keith Kelly, and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with musicians to talk about their stories and bands and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at globalbandroom.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Bandroom. All of the Global Bandroom podcasts are brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures. Find out how you can travel beyond expectations at mykatrip.com. Now on with the show. So I'm delighted to welcome Laurie Schwartz-Reichel back to the Global Band Room. The last conversation, well, I say the last recorded conversation that we had that has actually been published was the conversation that we had on St. Patrick's Day of 2020, would you believe it, almost two years ago. Uh, we have spoken a, a number of times between them. We've worked on a couple of projects together. We've spoken at conventions. We met at Midwest this year, which was which was incredible. And we did record an episode just prior to Midwest, which we... Uh, but. but uh, uh, with the uh, beginning of the year being a little bit uh, difficult for me personally as well. Uh, we wanted to revisit some of those conversations and update them and talk about what's happening now at the beginning of 2022. Uh, Laurie, welcome to the Global Band Room. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Keith. Oh, it's great to have you. And as, as I mentioned, it, it was fantastic to to meet you again and, and talk to you at Kitty O'Shea's yes. at Midwest. <laughs> it was nice to have a drink and to catch up in person. Wonderful. How was Midwest for you this year? Uh, I know quite a few people were just glad to be back. Um, how did you find the whole experience this year? It was wonderful. It was the first live concert that I've been back to since the whole COVID experience. Wow. And it was one of the farther ones. So for me, I'm on the East Coast of the United States. I'm near Baltimore, Maryland, and so flying to Chicago. And it was my opportunity to speak at Midwest. So I had my session presented there on Thursday morning. So that was excellent. A little different this year. Usually I travel with a very good friend and I usually have a group of people that come with me from Maryland and none of those people traveled this year. So I felt a little lonely at first, but it was really great because I had an opportunity to spend time with people who I may typically not have because I may have been involved with other groups or events. I also had an opportunity to meet live people that I had only met virtually through a screen over the last two years. So it sort of caused me, which I, which I don't mind stepping out of my shell a little bit and spending right. time and meeting new people. So that was great. But the experience yeah. of presenting at Midwest was, was phenomenal. I was a little nervous because my session was at 8.30 in the morning and I thought, oh, should I invite my parents? Maybe <laughs> they might be the only ones in the audience. <laughs> but it was very well attended and I had support from some really great people and people from all facets of my life who had shown up to, to, to offer support, which was really much appreciated. I found it really interesting that Midwest really did present an opportunity to um, test out those relationships that we've been that we've made, right? And and they for the most part stood the test. Actually, I think uh, with people that we've only met online, um, it really did feel like we were just meeting friends again. Uh, how did you feel about that? Did, did you feel that the that Zoom has done us a favor over the last two years? It certainly has. It's brought people into my life who I never would have met you being one of them and other people from all across the United States and beyond internationally. It's given us an opportunity to collaborate with people that we may have looked up to and really, you know, not thought that we could just simply reach out to them and ask them for help or ask them for um, support or ask them if they wanted to work together and those sort of things. I know personally, I reached out to many people who I never thought of, oh, you know, I always thought, oh, I'd have to travel to California or Ireland or here, you know, to meet these people, but we could just Zoom. And these capabilities were available before, but many of us weren't taking advantage of them, you know. And then on the flip side, it was really neat to have people reaching out to me too and asking questions um, and being able to provide mentorship to some people. So what was your clinic uh, on, Laurie? Would you mind telling us a little bit about it? At Midwest, yes. Yeah. Uh, that was the session entitled Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, Am I? Providing Opportunities Reflecting All. And it's about thinking about the students and are we 
representing them well within our classroom? Are we providing an opportunity to celebrate all students? And not just students, but our colleagues too. You know, when we invite clinicians into our classroom, are we making sure that these clinicians are um, various in their ages, their gender, their race, their abilities, and so forth? And same thing with students. You know, are we representing all students? Are we going to every corner of the school to recruit students? Mm -hmm. Are we retaining students within our programs and so forth? It was loosely based off of my doctoral thesis, um, which I just, um, my degree was just conferred on January 7th. So I'm very excited to share that. Congratulations. I just saw the news recently on social media too. That's fantastic. And that's one of the things that you've been up to over the, over the pandemic since since St. Patrick's Day 2020 when we've spoken last um uh, and and so you 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 based some of this session at Midwest Clinic on some of this work too then correct so this was a topic that I was interested in as I was starting my degree and it was something that I focused on a lot throughout my degree anytime I had an opportunity to choose a specific topic or a project or to research something I really spent a lot of time with diversity, equity, inclusion, access, those type of topics. And so I was constantly um, reading, listening, uh, you know, gathering a lot of those sources. My um, title for my dissertation ended up being the student voice perception of students representation of themselves in the secondary band curriculum. You have to be very specific when you do that. Right. Type of work. <laughs> But I tried to be as general as possible. Um, so I wanted to really encompass any area of a curriculum. It could be a reading curriculum, a math, a science. And so a lot of the data and thoughts are based on band, in particular secondary band. But the concepts could apply to any area within education. And that, that was the goal. So just let to maybe just to dig a little bit deeper into it then um if 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 you don't mind Laurie um so a lot of the conversation around diversity uh, that we hear uh, the, the now, nowadays uh, is focusing on uh, the composers and in a lot of the case, the conductors that we tend to feature clinicians and so on. But what can we be doing in our classroom or maybe our community setting elsewhere in the world? What can we be doing to make sure that, that we're focusing on uh, diversity, equity and inclusion that's outside of just programming and, and guest conductors? What else can we do? Can we do? You hit on a lot of it, um, clinicians, guest conductors, educators, anyone that you're inviting into your classroom, composers. But the biggest thing that I talked about within my paper and research was the student voice. And are we asking the students how they feel, how they interpret right. and how they learn? What do they feel when the same types of people are coming into their classroom who either look like them or don't look like them? And so I talked about the concept of mirrors and windows, which was created by Emily Style back in, I think it was 1989, where she gave the concept of students need a mirror to look into so that they see someone who looks, acts, has the same experiences as them. But in addition to that, also a window so that they can look into other cultures and see how people who don't necessarily look have the same experiences as them. Um, and then a few years later, um, another um, scholar designed the sliding window, or excuse me, the sliding glass door concept where particularly from books, we can slide into another world or another culture. And we also can do that within music with composers too. Are we sliding into another type of music or another culture or something like that? So getting back to your question, the first thing is to hear the student voice. What are they saying? Are they seeing the same types of people coming into their classroom? Are they with the same types of students? And I talked a lot about um, how students feel, interpret, and learn from very um, from the various aspects of cultural diversity. And oftentimes we think of that as gender and race. And in addition to those things, it's even more. It's disability, it's socioeconomic status, it can be religion, nation nationalities, languages. And so when we think about cultural diversity, we have to think about all lenses of that. 
age too. If we're always having composers or playing music of composers that are of the same age or not living <laughs> or right. conditions that are coming into our classrooms who are always between the ages of 50 and 60. What about having a composer who started composing music when they were the age of our students? You know, right. I talk a lot about um, Tyler Grant and Adrian B. Sims. These are friends of mine and fantastic composers who started writing at the ages of 10, had their first piece published at the age of 13. How inspirational for a student to learn about these composers and to know, oh my gosh, they started writing and composing music at the same age as me? I, I don't have to wait till I have my doctorate, right? <laughs> you know, I can actually start experimenting with this now. It's a, it's a, great, uh, it's a great example to look up to, Shirley, yeah. Right. So thinking about cultural diversity in many aspects and remembering that, you know, are we asking students how they feel, interpret, and learn? Are we listening to what they have to say? And then the final step is, are we implementing their suggestions and ideas into our curriculum and our classroom? And I was really excited to spend a lot of my time in my studies, you know, learning about this stuff, um, coming up with ideas, sharing ideas, and writing about it. One of the most exciting parts of any journey is the anticipation of the adventure to come. Planning your route, investigating the attractions, and researching the local culture. But sometimes, as music educators, it's easy to get swept up in the mountain of work it takes to bring your students on that next band trip. And that joy and anticipation can be lost, or worse, can turn into dread. With over 28 years of experience, Kaleidoscope Adventures has a world-class team of travel and performance experts ready to make this process not just easy, but exciting, leaving you and your students to continue doing what you do best and looking forward to an experience of a lifetime. When you're ready to travel beyond expectations, contact Kaleidoscope Adventures at mykatrip.com. Well, I want to find out a little bit about your path to that point and to that uh, to, to that to that uh, session uh, that you that you um, presented at Midwest Clinic and, and to your recent qualifications, um, because you have a you have an interesting path that isn't necessarily the the standard uh, music educator path. So, and I find that interesting because here in in Ireland, we're very used to the idea of what, what we call a, a portfolio career as a musician. It's, it's very difficult to make a career as a musician here in Ireland and many other places in, in Europe uh, or as a music educator um, if you don't have a number of strings to your bow. And I, and I think you actually represent that and you represent someone that, that there's probably many musicians within the US that, that, that also do what you do, but they don't tend to get, um, uh, we, we, we tend to think about college directors and high school directors, middle school directors when we're thinking about US directors. Uh, but you you are a freelance musician and, and you've you've been that way for, for quite some time. Can you tell me a little bit about your work as a as a freelance educator uh, and clinician uh, and what that involves? Sure. So I guess I sort of should tell you the story about how I came to be in music education because I think that sort of leads to where I am right now. Mm. So I grew up in um, a very small town in rural Pennsylvania where my father, who I greatly respect and admire, was my greatest mentor and was my elementary and high school band director. And my mother was a teacher too. And so all I knew really was education because my extended family was involved in education as well. And through school, I was a great musician. You know, I followed in both of my parents' footsteps as far as enjoying education, loving music. I also liked sports a lot too. I loved playing field hockey and basketball. And when I was thinking about college, everybody just assumed that I would become a teacher and most specifically that I would become a band director like my dad. And yes, I very much had that interest, but I also had other interests too. And I also was very stubborn. <laughs> and when people told me that I was going to do one thing, I wanted to do the other <laughs> to sort of prove them wrong. And so um, now I, I'm thinking about it now, but I just remember thinking I had other interests and I wanted to try other things. And so I ended up going to school to study business and to play field hockey. 
And very shortly into my freshman year, and then I, actually halfway through my sophomore year, I realized I was denying myself what I really loved, which was music and also teaching. And so I transferred schools, went into music education and followed that path that everybody expected that I would do. Well, well, let me just stop you there because we share a very similar interest. I did one year of business in college as well uh, before realizing that I was actually missing out on, on performing music. So tell me, was it more for you? Was it more that you missed music or was it that you were maybe pushed away by that world of business uh, because you seem very quite business minded actually in, in, in running a, a, this freelance career that you do. Um, which was it? Was it more of a push or a pull um, for you? That's a great question. I believe it was probably both because I, would tell you, <laughs> I absolutely hated micro econ <laughs> class. <laughs> I hated it. Hated it. I couldn't read half of the words in the textbook. I didn't know what half of them meant, you know, (laughs) they weren't music terms, that sort of thing. And of course, yes, I very much miss music. And ironically, I happened to be involved, or excuse me, enrolled in a school that didn't have a music program. So I couldn't even make the switch immediately. You hadn't even got that outlet. Do you think you might have lasted and seen it through if there had been some sort of outlet there? That's a great question. Yeah. Maybe if I would have been able to play my saxophone, be involved in some ensemble, right. maybe I would have stayed. Who knows? But that's it. It's an interesting. It's an interesting thing for for colleges and schools to think to think about. Maybe you know having those outlets maybe might provide that that opportunity for people to um, to keep going at something else. But we're we're very delighted in this world of of uh, of music education that you didn't have that outlet because it 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 allowed you to go full time into it. Uh, tell me a little bit about that journey then in those first first years of music education. Sure. I ended up teaching at a very similar school to where I grew up. So I ended up being a December graduate because I had to make up a little bit of lost time from my first year and a half in business. And I ended up at a school in rural uh, Berks County, Pennsylvania, where I became the first full-time band director for the middle school band. So it used to be a junior, senior high mentality. And I was brought in to develop the concept of the middle school band curriculum. And so that sort of was my first interest in designing and establishing programs, thinking about the program as a whole and so forth. I loved my time there. It was very similar to where I grew up. So there was not a lot of diversity um, when you look at the demographics of the school and school profile and so forth. But I learned classroom management. I mean, here I was at the age of 23 with 212 musicians managing them. And I spent four and a half years there helping the community to build that program and making some great and lasting relationships with colleagues and families and so forth. I met my husband at a wedding and he lived outside of the Baltimore, Maryland area, which was about a two and a half hour drive. And after dating and realizing that we wanted to merge our lives, I decided to make the transfer to Maryland with the support of um, him and my family and so forth. Although my dad said, you'll never have a pension like you have in Pennsylvania, (laughs) 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 which he's right. And I left a very comfortable position, a beautiful brand new building to move to a county that I knew that my husband and I were going to spend our time in. And that was in Howard County, Maryland, which if you Google Howard County, Maryland, it's quite affluent. It's often ranked as one of the top three in the United States for school systems and so forth, whatever that means. (laughs) And I found myself in a program that didn't look or feel like anything I had been in prior. It was a school that had 74 nationalities represented. It was a much smaller program than where I had been because the school was almost, um, it was actually more than half the size of the previous school. And it was also a Title I program. And I'll be very honest, that first month, I think it had a lot to do with I was moving my entire life. You know, I was starting a life with my future husband. I was moving away from friends and family that I had known. And here I was after leaving a program that I loved building with the community, here I was in a program that was a revolving door of band directors for many years Mm. prior. 
And for that first month, I think I cried every day when I got home from work. My husband has a picture of me like just sprawled out on the floor, collapsed, <laughs> very upset. But very quickly, I realized that students are students. It doesn't matter where they are or who they are or where, you know, who their directors are. Uh, they want to learn and they want to be loved. And so in a very short time, I realized what that community needed and wanted. They wanted someone who could come in and love them first as human beings and second as musicians. And when I realized, geez, it's as simple as that. I just have to love them as people and encourage them in every aspect of their life that the music will just come. And so with the support of their families, administration and colleagues, we as a community built something that we were quite, quite um, pleased with and, and honored. And so um, during that time, we were one of the featured middle school bands at the Maryland Music Educators Conference. We got to share a love of learning um, and performance with the community. And we talked about how we as a community built that program, um, build it by numbers, build it by the level of music that we had played, build it by support and so forth. And then after my eighth year, the principal that I had worked with and admired for, for several years had been asked to open the 20th middle school in that county. And she was permitted to ask five educators from the school, the older school, if they would like to move and open the brand new building with her. And she waited until after that statewide performance that we were the featured middle school band for. And she waited a week later because she knew that was very important to us and she didn't want to get me emotional. And she asked if I would like to come and open the brand new school with her. And it was really quite um, eye-opening, Keith, because she asked three special education teachers, the science team leader, STEM coordinator, mm. and myself, a music educator, the band director. And so to me, that said a lot about what the priorities of the school were going to be. That's, and they're she, very interesting choices, all right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what she valued in opening this school. And so I spent about three weeks <laughs> um, making up, you know, thinking and making up my mind. Lots of tears. I think I threw up once or twice over eight for <laughs> many days. And I realized I was ready for a, a change. I was ready for another challenge. I certainly did not want to leave the community that I had grown to love. But, you know, we're ready for different things and challenges in our life. And so once I made that decision, then I just moved forward with that. And the support from the families at the old school was fantastic. I remained close with many of them. And then I had the opportunity to open and design the new curriculum for the new school. Um, I was there. I, we opened in 2014. I was there for a full year. It was awesome because we had students from 27 different previous schools. So they were either coming from schools within the school system or many of them were tr uh, transferring in from different states, Texas, California, all over the place. Uh, it was a very transient area because we were by many military bases and you know we're near Washington, D.C. Okay. and, and ba the Baltimore, Washington International Airport and so forth. And then at the start of the next year, uh, well, at the end of that first year, I became pregnant with my first child at the age of 37. And at the beginning of the next year, I had Harper, my daughter, uh, in the fall of 2015, in the middle of October. And I don't know if I realized it at the time, but October 13th, 2015 was the last time that I was in a classroom full-time teaching. Really? Yep. Because I went on my normal maternity leave. I was going to do my 12 weeks and I was scheduled to return. And about six weeks in, I said, I want this time, you know, to be a true parent and I want to spend this time with my child. And, you know, I gave it a lot of thought again, more tears, <laughs> you know, more throwing up and so forth. And I called my principal, the one who had asked me to start the program. And I said, shiny, I'm going to go on leave. And she goes, I know. And I was she knew before you. Yes. Yeah, she knew before me. She goes, I know Lori and I'll support you in anything. And so at the end of that year, I called her back again and I said, I'm going to stay on leave. And she said, I know. <laughs> and I came in, I packed up my room because at that point I was forfeiting that position. And the way our county works is you can go on leave. This is crazy for up to three years per child. 
And so I thought, well, I'll just continue on leave. I had my son then in 2017, two years later. And last May, so May of 2021 was when I had to either resign or return to the school system. And ultimately, I wanted to work part-time. I asked Human Resources if I could do that. I suggested ways. I love mentorship. And so I thought, what a great way to have a tenured, you know, well-respected teacher who is, you know, um, enjoys building programs and mentoring teachers. What if we had a non-tenured teacher, a first-year teacher come in? I could work a few days mentor overlap maybe one day mentor that new teacher mm. and then i could be home for two or three days with my own children and the school system was not open to it not just because of me but just they didn't do that which is such a shame because you know here they lost a great teacher here they lost great teachers with many of my friends who decided to do the same thing and i and, and to your points earlier on we, we we talked a little bit about about diversity um and creating flexible flexibility within our systems surely should be the goal of many of our school boards um, and, and even just community groups and so on creating flexible ways of working uh, would lead to some more uh certainly uh, women band directors but what may lead to more flexibility and more uh, a more diverse pool of people that are willing and able to work within the the workforce surely right and you know i wasn't saying i'm not ever coming back i was saying at this time this is the type mm. of balance that i want to have with my life and it's so ironic because a few years later, then the pandemic happens and we realize that what people need, as you say, is flexibility right. and the understanding that we can be great at our job, but we don't have to work it for, you know, 40 hours a week. Um, you know, we can have flexibility. We can work part time for a few years if we would like or ever. And so... That mentality. So once the school system said no, I sort of said, okay, <laughs> well, then I'm going to enjoy this time with my children. And it motivated me even more to do what I had always dreamed of, which was, you know, providing the sense of mentorship and motivation for teachers. And I had always had this dream of traveling around to schools and school systems. It looked slightly different, probably 10 or 15 years ago when I was thinking about it. But I always had this dream of really doing what I'm doing now. And honestly, the ability to leave the school system to reevaluate my life and what my passions and goals were um, really made me align my goals a little bit more and to move forward with that plan. And so if you would have asked me at the age of 23, what did I want to do? I wanted to be doing what I'm doing now. Well, it's it's a great example, Laurie, um, and, and uh, you know, often I, I've I've spoken to students, uh, U.S. students as well as as Irish students, about uh, different paths into um, music education or music performance. In my case, it was, um, and it's important to remember that there are those different paths, and and then when you even even when you arrive, that there are other ways to create and uh, and 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 build a career a around this. I think it's so important that our our young people see that you know there are many ways in which to work within our whether it's music education communities or band communities or, or performance communities either i think it's so important to be setting examples and and the work that you do does set that example i mean because i want to move on a little bit to talking about some of your work through the last two years because you were already ready for the pandemic in many ways. You were writing, you were creating uh, virtual spaces, you were uh, creating content, um, and then music educators had to find their feet doing a lot of that. Did you find yourself mentoring? Did you find yourself helping to uh, set up other music educators during that time for, for success? Yes, I had many of them reach out. <laughs> And ask questions like, how are you doing what you're doing? And, and how do I get involved in that? And the answer that I gave to them was, you have to understand, I was thinking about this and doing these things, just like you said before it, you know, 
to me, I think I had my own personal pandemic in 2015, <laughs> you know, when I had right. my first child and made that decision to leave the school system. And I had that sense of isolation that many of us had at the onset of the pandemic back in March 2020. I had that when I had my first child and how many parents and particularly women do when they first have a child back in October 2015, you know, and it was for several months there. I felt very isolated, you know, at home by myself. I didn't know how to act, not in a band room. <laughs> you know, I didn't know how to act in front of a band, of, you know, without a band of 100 students. I was dealing with one child. I was used to managing 100 at a time, you know, that sort of thing. I had that sense of being in limbo that I think a lot of people have and still have, you know, during the pandemic. And it was a time for reflection and evaluation about, how do I want my life to be? And what impact do I want to have, not only on my family, but on my friends and my colleagues, and most importantly, the profession as a whole? You know, I wanted people to say, we don't have to be working full time to have an impact on our on students or colleagues or our profession and so forth. And I found this quote sometime during that time that said, it was by Alice Walker, I wrote it down here because I wanted to make sure I said it correctly, but it says, look closely at the present you are constructing. It should look like the future you are dreaming. And that really hit home to me because I wanted to make sure what I was doing in 2015 was setting that foundation for where I wanted my life to be one year, five years, 10 years, a couple decades down the road. And so when colleagues were calling me in April, May, 2020. And within the last year during the pandemic, last two years asking me questions, I would say, you have to remember, this was something that I was thinking about a few years ago, right. based on my family needs and, and things like that. Um, and, and what you were doing, Laurie, isn't that dissimilar to what many other industries are doing, which is reevaluating. And, and prior to the pandemic, there's there's many conversations um, around this. What is the nature of of work? Um, and and there's many different industries kind of reviewing this. You know, to the you know the four the four day work week is being tested in. In, in different parts of Europe now, by by, by government institutions, um, lots of lots of companies are testing this. But music education, I think, by its nature, is going to be stuck in its in in this way of thinking where we where we're attached to schools, which are attached to the old agrarian way of thinking and the the crops coming in and and so on. Like, do you think that we have? learn some lessons during the pandemic that we yes we we spoke quite a lot about reviewing the nature of how we work during the pandemic but do you think that we will slip back into i say we i, I just mean music education music education generally do you think we'll just slip back into our old ways of thinking or do you think lessons have really been learned because you've you've had the opportunity to to do this for yourself I'd love to see many other music educators really getting the opportunity to assess the way they work. Do I think we're going to slip back into our ways? Yes, I yeah. do. I certainly right. do. I don't see enough movement right now for the flexibility and the thoughts of re-envisioning. I think we're talking about it, but I don't see the implementation happening. Also, and another- why is that, Laurie? Like, like the. Is it because of these these demands of of competition and uh, the, these demands of 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 trying to make music education fit into this uh, into the same uh, set of boundaries that we set for for all other subjects and areas of study? Like, surely there surely music of 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 all the things that we study, there should be ways to create flexibility around that. Surely. Well, I see it as a whole right now. I, I actually don't even think about music education when I'm thinking about education. Well, it's right. not, I, I didn't say that quite right. I, when I think of education as a whole, I'm thinking about, you know, where is the whole system going? And, and it's in complete tor- turmoil. I mean, we're losing teachers left and right because we're not allowing for the flexibility, because we're not paying, because we're not valuing time. But because they, they're looking at their colleagues, that were not not even colleagues, but, but friends and family that are in totally other industries that are 
in 2021 and saying we don't have to work the same way that we used to work but but yet we're not willing to, to it's different here right because we all have our own careers outside of music for the most part and then we we music is this thing that we we choose to do and that brings all its own complications trust me <laughs> in terms of how much you you do outside of work as well but surely if this is so many people work within this industry within the US and so many music educators out there, they're looking at their friends and family and saying, oh, I don't know about this. This isn't the way I want to work. Uh, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to have a life outside of this. It makes me nervous though, because, and, and I can honestly say, you know, when I was leaving the classroom full time to spend that time with my family and to design and develop the life that I had imagined for myself and wanted, I had myself in mind. What were my educator goals? How did I want to impact students, either within my studio, within my care, when I visit classrooms? How do I want to impact colleagues? How do I want to impact the profession and so forth? But I also want to make sure that we have the vision of students in mind, because I think that we're getting so careless about what do I want as an educator and what do I need that we're starting to ignore the needs of the students? You know, we're thinking about what's happening for what the educators want. Well, what do the students need? And, you know, that was part of the paper that I wrote was about the student voice and what are they saying? And a lot of the things that aggravated and frustrated me during the pandemic that I saw specifically in music education was that I mean, it was an awesome opportunity to meet our colleagues virtually and to have forums for conferences and open spaces right. where we could get together and meet other colleagues. And I could present or you could present. And we were focusing on these educators presenting. But very few times did I hear us speaking about the student or That's did I true. hear us asking about what does the student think? And so... Pretty early on in June of 2020, well, this would have been back in May, so two months or so into the pandemic in the United States, I wrote to the Grammy Music Education Foundation, which is um, no longer working in that capacity, but said, you know, we're not hearing the student voice. We're hearing what the teachers are saying, what the teachers want, which is as is important too, but what do the students think about this uh, remote, virtual, whatever you want to call it, learning at the time? And so we have to make sure that we're seeing and hearing both of us. What do we as the educators want as we hopefully move out of this pandemic um, idea and envision education? And what do the students need? And I think we're often forgetting that second part. What do the students need? Do you do you think that there is a way to find a balance between both of those? Or are they always going to be pulling against each other? Are, are the needs of the teacher and the needs of that flexibility and maybe working a little bit more like a, a you know, a, a Google executive, you know, working three days a week and uh, working from home and so on? Are they are they in opposition to what the students need or is there a place in the middle from 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 what you've taught about this? I hope there's a place in the middle. I, I often, what I'm starting to say as I use this word, right now in education, I think educators are thinking about their career path in terms of pleasure versus pension. Do they enjoy the job anymore? Do they? If they do, they're going to want to stay. If they realize and understand that they're there to benefit the students, embrace the student's uniqueness, celebrate them, help them learn, then the pleasure is there in teaching. Or are they only staying right now for the pension? And if they're only staying for the pension, then they may have lost the pleasure. And if they've lost the pleasure, then they probably don't have the vision of the student and the student's mm -hmm. needs and their original intention for getting into the profession. So I would say it's sort of pleasure versus pension right now, but it needs to be both. You know, we need to be supporting our teachers financially. We need to be supporting our teachers with um, flexibility, the resources, the professional development, everything that they need, then the pension, but we need to be supporting them so they're pleased in their position. They're still delighted to come to school in whatever mentality or face that looks like um, for our students. And I probably didn't, I mean, I 
think I was a good teacher and I loved my students, but until I became a parent and I watched my first child go off to school and she, she then coming back and talking to me about what is her teacher saying? What are the educators in her building doing? How does that make her feel? How is she interpreting things? How is she learning? You know, that sort of thing. It really made me then value even more the student voice when I was then mm -hmm. at home hearing my own child talk about what made her feel great in the classroom. What did her music teacher do or her art teacher or her classroom teacher do to make her feel included and accepted and um, celebrated in that space? You know, it strikes me, Laurie, that that prior to the pandemic, our industry, um, our community wouldn't have been willing to have this conversation at all. In fact, I'm sure that there's listeners going, yeah, I mean, flexibility, It's that's just not the way band works. Band is... You know, it's in a band room. We need to have kids in front of us. It's very physical in person. Uh, but I but I, I, would ask anyone that's kind of questioning this conversation to uh, two things. Number one, do we want to give people that have been, uh, that, that, that haven't found another way to work within the community a way to work within it? Uh, that's, that's the first thing. We want to try and maybe in, in, be more inclusive in, 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 in how we welcome people that, that can't give 40 hours a week right? That's the first thing. The second thing is, surely there are tools and and methods that you have uh, adapted over the last two years that that show you that this is this is possible. So it's it's both needed and and possible to be more flexible and to create new ways for our people to work. And if you've never heard this conversation before, it is a huge part of international conversation in many many other industries for years now that the traditional way this industrial way of working is outdated and we need to review it in in the age that we live in um i hope that um that we're that we're getting there and and, and I, I do think that you're a great example of how we can maybe push forward um into a new way of of doing this um I'm really excited because um, in a month, in February, Friday, February 11th, I'm speaking at the Texas Music Educators Association Conference in San Antonio, Texas. It'll be my first time in several years visiting Texas. I had spoken in Dallas a few years ago at the National Association for Music Education Conference, but specifically to Texas music educators and to learn and hear what's happening in their state because it seems to be such a great model for what's happening. We all we always say, oh, it's the Texas bands, oh, the Texas bands, and they're so well represented. Well, I find it interesting that one, they have head directors and assistant directors <laughs> um, because in Pennsylvania, Maryland, where I was teaching, I was it, and many of our colleagues were it. And right. that has a lot to do with the size of the programs. It also has a lot to do with funding. But if we have this vision of being able to have multiple band directors, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the terms head and assistant. That's a whole right. other story. Um, but if we have this idea of having multiple directors, then it could have been quite easy when I asked to share my position with a new teacher to help mentor that we could have had multiple band directors in that position. And I think that music educators and specifically band directors would need to understand that they need to relinquish some of that control for a program. But I also think that's a great thing because it brings multiple visions into what a program can be and multiple experiences from if you and I were co-directing an ensemble or a program, your experiences in Ireland based on my experiences of rural schools in Pennsylvania and Title I and I was also at a school that was in corrective action in Maryland brings, you know, many, many um, experiences at, to the table. So I'm excited to be there. I'm giving my mirror, mirror on the wall presentation. Because it seems like Texas in many ways is almost, uh, you, you know, they're, they're set up to, to not be flexible in many ways. They've got this incredibly, and, and I'm thinking you know, any of our listeners that might be from Texas uh, that are listening to this, they'd be the very ones to say this wouldn't work with this sort of flexibility, this part-time work, re re remote work and so on. Um, 
But maybe actually Texas is the place that would have the resources to do this. And as you say, have positions that aren't necessarily full time and have other voices. Um, in some ways here in Ireland, we, we're very lucky in that none of us get paid a lot of the time for what we do with our bands. So we can have as many voices as we want because it doesn't necessarily in, increase the budget. Um, so, you know, my own band here, we have we have three different band directors, but, you know, none of us are paid for it. So <laughs> we have all those voices. <laughs> But I'm excited to learn a little bit more about what's happening in Texas. And I'm not saying that their way is right or wrong. It's Mm -hmm. definitely a different way of doing things than what I grew up with. And that's great because I want to learn what's happening down there. And maybe some of the tools and resources and ways that they're doing things, I can bring back to the East Coast of the United States and vice versa. Maybe I can bring some concepts to them as well, um, hoping that they are. Um, you know, finding opportunities for all students to be reflected in their programs um, in many different ways. Well, Laurie, it's 2022. It's the start of a new year. You you, te- you te- told me now that you're going to be at TMA. I look forward to seeing you there as well. I'll be there and at South Carolina MEA as well very soon. Uh, very looking for, Very much looking forward to that. But tell me, what else are you getting up to in 2022? You've had a, such a busy uh, and, and, and productive two years. What what does this year have for, for, for you? Well, it's been great. Um, obviously, I just, my degree was conferred on January 7th. So that's, I sort of feel like <laughs> these last couple of weeks, I've just been overwhelmed, obviously, with congratulations and support for that. But then thinking about all the things that I didn't do <laughs> over the last few years, right. particularly in the last um, several months, I can tell you from October to December, was very crazy for my family. My husband wore several hats uh, as caregiver, you know, parent, um, worker, chef, (laughs) everything in our house. Um, So I'm very, very thankful for his support on that. And so I'm back. Guess who's back, back, back. Um, I'm back (laughs) to make sure that our house is running smoothly. So that's my first goal in the first couple of weeks here. Uh, We have a lot of house projects, little things that I've just been putting on a to-do list to get through. My next thing is in September, this past September of 2021, I started a monthly newsletter and it was actually uh, loosely based off of right when the pandemic started, I had started a reflection series for educators in general. It was more music based, but educators in general, and I was doing it every day. You had given me some great feedback on that. And I was doing a video a day, a few minutes each day based on a particular topic, what I felt like teachers were talking about, what they wanted, what they needed. I got some great feedback from that, but I could not keep up with that on a daily basis. <laughs> the amount of time like recording and putting thought into that content. So that went away for a little bit right around the time when I really was getting full fledged into my degree and particularly the writing at the end. And you know, you had talked to me about it, like, you know, where is it? Another friend of mine had said, you know, where are these videos? I miss these. And so I thought, how can I combine my writing interest with my speaking interest and my mentoring um, interest into something? And so I created this newsletter that started in September and I'm, um, I'm using MailChimp for that. And it's coming out each month. And I have a huge uh, group of subscribers right now. It's been really great. And so each month I'm putting that out. So for January, it was, what is our vision uh, for ourselves going into January, 2022? And I talked about how we're sort of tiptoe. I was tiptoeing into this year a little bit, a little unsure of what it was to bring, but how do we want to envision our life, our classroom, our programs, our bands and so forth? And who are we telling? And who are we sharing these ideas with? And I always would keep a lot of things to myself, but I learned once I started sharing with the people around me, it didn't have to be everybody, but once I was sharing with who I know who could support me or guide me or that sort of thing, or even mentor me through things, um, I could get there faster or with more support. And so this newsletter, particularly in January, was talking about that. And so I'm going to, my plan is to continue to create this content each month going forward. I can give you a link for that if anybody would like to subscribe. We'll have them in our show notes. You can click on it right now. Great feedback from that and ideas on that moving forward. 
I have a project that's coming out in the spring that will be released probably in late March or early April, which will hopefully help a lot of musicians who are looking, um, who might not necessarily have the support at their school. So even I'm thinking in Ireland where they don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have music education programs in your school, this might be something that is helpful to them. Absolutely. And, you know, I I do try to encourage any of our non-US listeners, um, a lot of the resources that we're talking about here today and a lot of the the videos and and, and writing that Laurie has, a lot of it's so applicable to us here too. We just need to adapt it slightly for our own needs here. Uh, so the the links to a lot of this will be uh, in, in, in the show notes. So, th- so thanks, Laurie. Sure. Um, I have a lot of writing collaborations coming up and um, some, some small things, some bigger things. And then most um, importantly, and what I'm most excited about is where Making Key Changes, my business is going. And it's called Making Key Changes, Mentorship and Motivation and Education. And again, it's been my dream <laughs> since I was probably 23. It looks a little different than what it did then. I thought I would be physically always traveling to schools and school systems to um, provide, uh, well, I should say design and present professional development opportunities. But now I'm finding that school systems will say, you know, rather than us flying you out or having you come out, could we do some virtual events? And so I'm having school systems um, in California, New Jersey, Massachusetts that are hiring me to create professional development throughout the school year. And so what we're doing is we're taking a course that I designed a few years ago called Making Key Changes, and we're implementing it throughout the school year. And so the school systems are hiring me to once a month um, take some of the content and, of course, something that I may have taught over several weeks or a day. You know, I'm shrinking it down a little bit to 60 or 90 minutes. And some of them I'm traveling to and others are saying we'd like to have these virtual because what I'm finding is some school systems still aren't even allowing teachers to gather together in spaces. And so one of the school systems that I was working with yesterday in New Jersey, uh, most of them were logging on from their own classrooms rather than all gathering together. So much of my work right now is designing and presenting professional development opportunities for practicing teachers, pre-service teachers, and I'm also getting invitations for motivating students. How did I make these key changes in my life? And what are some of the suggestions that I might have for students who want to take a slightly different path and try um, really embracing their uniqueness within their, their idea of what their career can look like? Well, Laurie, I'm absolutely delighted to be able to talk to you again. Uh, I really am. And, you know, we, I think that it's so important to to remember that we all have different um, uh, needs in our lives and different ways that we can contribute. And you're doing exactly that um, in with, with what, with your work. And I'd encourage anyone to, um, to, to, um, click on those links in the show notes and find out more about your work. But I want to find out a little bit more about the Laurie that's not a musician uh, on our off the rostrum section. Um, So I'm going to start with a really easy one. Um, Well, see, it's always the easy ones that people say aren't easy. Let's start with easy for me. (laughs) What is your favorite movie of all time? because with my daughter we're noticing that she's having trouble picking like her favorite color and I'm like where does she get that from oh she gets it from me <laughs> <laughs> my favorite movie growing up and this is so silly was called can't buy me love <laughs> can't buy me love I don't know I don't know what I've heard Romantic of that one. comedy from the 1980s <laughs> It it wasn't big here in Ireland, I don't think. Probably not. <laughs> what is your favorite fast food? Oh, I love a good <laughs> hamburger, cheeseburger, double quarter pounder with cheese from McDonald's. McDonald's. Oh yeah. Okay. I I can get behind that. I I, I know. Um, Although, you know what? When we get you over here to Ireland, Laurie, um, at some stage, you got to try McDonald's here because uh, um, I think it's better in, in Europe. I, I have had it overseas in a few different countries, and it's it's definitely 
fresher more is it more fresh or fresher, <laughs> fresher. yeah I, I think it, I, I think it is certainly certainly here in in, in ireland it's, it seems to be um but i do yeah i like mcdonald's i think it gets a get, gets a bad rap <laughs> i do love to get my french fries in sweet and sour sauce that's one of my favorites nice nice sweet chili here but yeah i like that um do you consider yourself it is <laughs> this might seem like an obvious question but sometimes people have interesting answers um are you an introvert or an extrovert that's very interesting i've been giving a lot of thought to this i think most people would say that oh of course she's an extrovert she loves to be around people mm-hmm. In the last several years, again, even before the pandemic, I really have enjoyed being an introvert at times. I do love being by myself. I love being home alone, having the house to myself, being able to think about what I want to do. Um, and I'm realizing, particularly since becoming a parent, that I need that time to myself. You know, is it I go sit in the car or I drive home and I don't quite get out of the car yet before I get in the house, Um, the bathroom time or, you know, time really late at night. My friends will tell you that I love to sleep and I'm not a morning person. I have many girlfriends where we've traveled and they'd be like, Lori, get up, get up. And they're like, we never knew you liked to sleep so much. But I have found that very late at night seems to be my time um, Mm. to myself. But I also found in during my studies uh, for my degree, I was finding that sometimes I needed to get up before everybody else in the house did to get my work done. Because if I did wait until the evening, you know, who's sometimes my children wouldn't go to bed on time. And so when I thought that I could start studying at nine o'clock, sometimes that didn't happen till 10 and then I lost an hour. But if I would get up before they did, then I was guaranteed that hour or that two hours or that sort of thing. So most people would say I'm an extrovert, but I'm enjoying it is it yeah it is an interesting one isn't it it's not as it's not as binary as people think uh and and the people that come across as most extroverted may have a may have a real need for that time on their own too because so i I always think it's a an interesting question um tell me what are your non-music hobbies or biggest non-music hobby so Probably, well, I've had a love-hate relationship with running (laughs) my life, during my life. So I would get, and I can think about this back from when I was in high school, through college, and so forth. And I would get on these highs of running, and I would run for several months, you know, several miles and so forth. And I was really into that the first year of the pandemic. And then I broke my foot. I was running, and I came down a hill, and I um, fractured something. And I couldn't you know, do any movement for those eight weeks. And once I came back from that, I started walking and I tried getting back into running and I just haven't gotten back into it yet, but I am walking every single day for at least 30 minutes. And I try to do about an hour fast walking. And I got into listening to podcasts during the pandemic, which I in never in my life had listened to a podcast prior to <laughs> the pandemic. And now I have a few that I really listen to and love. Um, but I'm getting 30. What's your favorite? What's your favorite non-music podcast? Because of course, Global Band Room is up there as music. Uh, but <laughs> what is, what's your favorite non-music podcast? Um, I like the Rachel Hollis podcast. I really like I don't her. know that one. Yeah, I'm at, let me look at my podcast queue and I can tell you what's on there. Uh, let's see. The Tim Ferriss Show has been one that mm. I have very much enjoyed. They are That's interesting. Up. Talking about that work-life balance, uh, Tim Ferriss has had some very interesting conversations about that. I really enjoy him very much. That would be someone who I would love to sit down for a meal with sometime. I, this one that's called All It Takes is a Goal. I'm really enjoying that one. Another one called I Will Teach You to Be Rich, <laughs> which is really neat. And it's really about handling our finances and what we mm. need to do. I like that. And I have a, a ton of on here, but a bunch of friends also mentioned this one called Smartless. Um, which is with Jason Bateman, uh, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett that I just started listening to. (laughs) They are making me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) 
great. Well, uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a great non-music list there. Um, well, I think that's a great way to to end the podcast um, today, Laurie. Uh, it's been absolutely great to talk to you again. I'm looking forward to maybe seeing you in person again at some of these conventions over the next few months. Um, if people want to find out, and I've already said we will have links to, the, to in the show notes, but if people are listening and want to find out where they can go and find out more about all of these wonderful projects and work that you're up to, where can they go? They can go right to my uh, website, which is makingkeychanges.com. No www, just right to makingkeychanges.com. They can learn a little bit more about me and they can see my work. And I'd love to learn about them and hear ways that we can collaborate and connect as well. Well, Happy New Year, Laurie, and uh, looking forward to seeing you later on this year. Oh, Happy New Year to you too. Thanks, Keith. Thank you so much again for joining me and my guests in the band room this week. I'll be back next episode talking to more great guests from around the band world. So head over to wherever you get your podcast from and make sure you subscribe. If you've enjoyed the episode, maybe even leave us a review and share it with your band buddies. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Bandroom and on our website, globalbandroom.com. Until next time, I'll see you back in the bandroom.